Welcome to the Courtside Hoops podcast. We are back again. I am back from my family holiday, which was an amazing time. Got to spend some real quality time with my daughter as a single parent, as my partner was doing the job of working full-time for a change. And I always said that her job was so much easier being the stay-at-home parent. I now have to retract that and say it is a hell of a lot harder being a stay-at-home parent than it is working full-time. So to all you stay-at-home parents out there, I apologise. You are superheroes. I, I second that. I second that. <laughs> I but it wasn't a comment. Yeah. <laughs> no, very good times, but very happy to be back talking some basketball with you boys. Again, as we know, our, we, we should just call Pat a guest now. He's not actually a member of the podcast of the four of us because he's never here. So one day we'll have a guest on and it'll be Pat, which will be amazing. But we do have Tulsh and we do have Reg back for today's episode. First things first, though, given my absence on the last episode, there is one thing that I have to address. And that was uh, the talk about LeBron James and what the Lakers should do in regards to trading him and what value you would put on a player of LeBron James's caliber. This man is 38 years old, and the words to say that you might give up maybe two second-round picks and possibly a first-round pick for arguably the greatest player to ever play this game is ridiculous. This man, most... NBA people would have him in their top three, most have him either one or two, and you're saying that you would give up two second rounders and maybe a first round for LeBron James. What 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 is your reasoning behind that, Tal? So so here's my thing, Buckets. If you if you are Pelicans, if you're OKC and you want LeBron James and you, if any team wants LeBron James, what do they trade for him? Like he's, he's he might be there for one or two more years. He like you've even said on previous podcasts that he's still able to go out and get his own, but he is not able to impact the games the way that he used to be able to impact the games to drag teams over the line. And you're about to tell me that play that teams are going to give up star player plus first round picks plus second round picks plus their whole farm everything like that for a 38 year old player who can't drag teams over the line at the end of the game what's what is his value in your mind what do you think you know like i mean i mean pick a team who you think is just out of contention but if they had lebron james would be in contention what they would give up to get it like, i would give up i would give up anything and everything outside of Giannis, luka Zion and Jokic. Anyone else I would give up to get LeBron James. He's still a top five player in the league. He's still the biggest star in the league. He's still got at least three years of what he's producing right now. And his son potentially is going to be in the league in a year that he wants to play with. So you've got box office you have the opportunity to have him on your team and be part of your organization's legacy, whether it's for one season or two seasons or whatever the case may be, you can say you had LeBron James in your organization at a period of time, one of the greatest players to ever play the game. That is invaluable for any organization. And to say that we would only give up a couple of second rounders and a first rounder for someone like that is just doesn't make any sense if I was running any team and I didn't have one of those four players I would give up whatever the Lakers asked for to get LeBron James 
So you have you, your GM of the Philadelphia 76ers. You've got Embiid, Harden, Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey, and then Lakers around saying, we'll give you LeBron, give us Embiid and Maxey and t- two first-rounders. What are you going to do? If I'm going to say I'm going to say yes, and I'll throw you James Harden. Oh, even oh, 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 oh. <laughs> You're kidding! You're, like, no, Joel Embiid, who's who's got ten years of fantastic basketball ahead of oh, him. Ten years, he'll be lucky to stay on the court for another three. Oh. His diet's terrible. His work average is <laughs> terrible. Reg, you got to support me here, mate. Like, sure, I'm surely, just laughing. If you're if, if you're Chicago Bulls, you're going to give up everything you've got, sell the farm for a 38 year old LeBron James. That's a pretty hard thing to say right now because the Bulls are pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> what the man could do for you culturally, what he could do for you off the court, what he could do post career in your front office. The man, everything he does, he makes things better around him. He makes the people around him better. He makes the organizations better. He makes the cities that he goes to better. Like you talk about what they lost when he left Cleveland in terms of just their downtown region and then what they got back economically just by having him come back to that organization. It's so much more than basketball with someone like LeBron James. And even if you only get him for a season, to say that you've had LeBron James with your organization, is a win-win for everyone. I, I will agree with you that he, from a business perspective, he he puts bums on seats, he sells tickets, he's one of the hottest stars that you know people will buy his jersey, all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that 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 that's the case. Well, I guess I'm looking at it from a pure basketball sense. And if you were to be a GM, where you've got to, I think, as a GM, you've got to look at more than the next 12 months as a GM as to how you're going to perform. You've got a, a GM, is, their entire job is to look at a franchise dynasty in five, five-year plan, seven-year plan, 10-year plan to work out how can we be like what Spurs were for 15 years. Can we, how, how can we be making playoffs every year? How can we be competing every year? And I just don't think trading away all of your younger assets to have LeBron, who granted might help you increase your membership, might help you, um, you know, sell more tickets, might help you get it raise more revenue for maybe two years. But knowing that if you trade him across there, you probably have to give up all of your assets. So you're probably not going to be making finals, you're not going to be making playoffs. I mean, to me, I just don't see his value as being great. Um, from a basketball sense, from a from a business sense, and for a two year plan to try and get money and revenue, and absolutely, I think trade trade whoever you want. But if you want to try, if you're going to stuff your team for ten years, that's that's what you'd do. You'd get LeBron James, trade away all your young pieces and your picks, get 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 your ticket sales up for two years, and then have your team in the hole for ten as you try and recover from giving away everything. No, because we all know what would happen. Whoever LeBron goes to. When the draft happens that Bronny's eligible, the NBA would rig the draft like they always do. <laughs> they would get the number one pick. You would then get Bronny. So then your next 10 years are set with Bronny. Then two years later, you'd get Bryce. So then you got Bronny and Bryce. So that's your next championship core. So to say that you're not set for the next 10 years, this is this is the starting block. And then LeBron would be your coach, GM, and probably head of basketball operations co-owner, um, head of marketing. <laughs> I just can't so, take it seriously anymore. <laughs> it, it, it'll be fine. 
But and then what? Are you, actually, another thing that I wanted to bring up now that you mentioned the Spurs, and you were talking about the um, greatest moments from two twenty two, and you were talking about um, Coach Pop breaking the all time scoring record. One question I wanted to ask: We all love Pop, and we all think Pop's a great coach. But what's Pop done without Tim Duncan? It's. I mean, it's a very good question. I mean, I think he's. I mean, I think that to be a good coach, you've still got to have the cattle on the park. I think Pop just hasn't had the cattle on the park since losing that 15-year dynasty that he had with Tim Duncan, Ginobili, Parker, Kawhi Leonard. Um, so, I mean, I think you're right. I think when he hasn't had the cattle, the cattle on the park, his coaching probably hasn't been a standout. But then again, I, I mean, I would – I mean, tell me who's a fantastic coach and tell me anyone who's going to go to San Antonio and make them better. Like – I couldn't even, I might be able to name two players that play for San Antonio and the rest I couldn't even there's no, a bloke, there's, there's, a, get it too. there's a there's a bloke <laughs> looks like Dennis Rodman that I'm not sure what his name is but like I mean you know you, you, you can't you can't polish a turn you know what I mean like you, you sort of got to um, you've got to have the cattle on the park I, I still think that if you put, took coach Popovich and put him into a team that sits anywhere from say fifth to eighth spot, or fifth to tenth spot, he'd probably be able to get a lot of better production out of them than what he is getting out of San Antonio at the at the at the at the moment. Yeah, very true, very true. But it is always interesting to think about that. Like if if, if guys, you know, we'll probably say the same about Steve Kerr. Yeah, you know, there's going to be people that are going to say, "Was he a good coach?" You know, it always comes up with Phil Jackson. Are mm. they great coaches? Or do they just happen to fall into great situations and then they're able to manage those situations to maximise the output? Because obviously there's other coaches that have had great situations and they're not able to manage the players that they necessarily have. So I think um, you can put that into like um, you could be a great manager at a company, go to a different company, be the same great manager but your team around you. You know what I mean? Like it's it's... I feel like time and place is so critical for a coach in the like it's a tough gig because you can get fired and be a really good coach, but it's just the the time and place was just not right. You know what I mean? You see those coaches who bounce around and disappear for a year, then come back and like Pop's been very lucky; he's been given twenty seven years or whatever it is at the one place. Like not many coaches or no coaches really have that. Um, and but but it's a fair point if you don't have Tim Duncan. It, it, take take Tim Duncan out, take that team out, and have a look at his overall record. It's a valid point, and there's been the same talks with his coaching of Team USA that he wasn't necessarily the best coach for Team USA. Um, again, time, place, the the, the players. I, I think I think I don't know if we mentioned this last time or not, Tosh, but I think he's getting a bit too old for the modern. Yeah, NBA. I mean, um, I'd agree so, with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Coach Popovich is he's probably coached longer than. Even he thought. I think that you know it was probably four or five years ago that his wife passed away, and he was he was going to like uh, you know spend some time with her and do stuff around America and Ra. And then she kind of she passed away, obviously very sad and very unfortunate. And he kind of stayed on coaching. And I, I wonder if maybe that was you know his out was was you know to spend time with her and and enjoy retirement. And I guess that that option kind of got taken away from him. So he, he's just decided to coach for longer. But, you know, he's def- I agree. He's definitely probably, I think, what is he, like 77 or something now? He's got to be pretty old, like 72. He's old. <laughs> he's old. 
he just did did not play old is where where he's at in his career. So um, I, I think it's all this. Hopefully, it is his last year because he's sort of in that that realm now where I've always said it's better to leave a year early than a year late. Mm-hmm. He's really getting into that territory now. I think yeah. if he continues after this season, he's very much in that. He's going to be leaving late. So yeah, great career. Time to move on and and bring someone else into the fray up there. Maybe they could get LeBron. Maybe he could take over as a coach. That would be pretty cool. I oh, imagine that. He's um he's he's seventy three years old. Seventy three. Jeez. Nelly, Nelly, Nelly 70, he's seventy four on the twenty eighth of January. Beautiful. Let's talk mid season. Okay, mid season review. Okay, so we're into the two thousand and twenty three. Let's talk about the top four teams in each conference. Let's start with the Eastern Conference. We've got Boston leading the way there, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Cleveland. Carl, shall start with you. What are your thoughts on the top four in the East? Is that the teams that are going to be contesting the Eastern Conference Finals or is there someone outside you think may jump in? And out of those, who is your favourite to go to the NBA Finals from the East at this standpoint of the year? Yes, so I mean, first first part of the question. No, I think that those top four will be the top four in contention. I can't see. I mean, Philly, I don't mind the look of, but I just don't think they're quite there. They just don't seem to have that top tier. Um, that I don't, I'm not sure how to put it, but they don't, they don't seem to have that that superstar player that can pull them over the line in big finals. Um, I don't think James Harden's that guy. I don't think Joel Embiid's that guy. Um, Tobias Harris, no. Maxi, great player. Um, Boston Celtics, to me, are the favourite to come out. Look, I, it pains me to say, like, I'd love to say Brooklyn. With, if KD hadn't have got injured and Brooklyn kept rolling and uh, closed that gap in terms of, um, you know, their win-loss, I would have probably said Brooklyn are, are pretty good favourites. Um, but no, for me, Brook, um, Boston Celtics. You know, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown are just both killing it at the moment. Um, you know, I was I was literally talking to a few um, mates the other day when I was watching the uh, the Boston game, and Jalen Brown I think could nearly be his own standalone player in a in a in a franchise team. Like I think he's starting to get towards that point that if you had Jalen Brown on your team, similar to what um, Shea Gillis Alexandra um, is for OKC, he could probably come into his own and be his own superstar player in his own right. He's developing towards that, and now they've got Tatum and Brown that can do it. Um, they haven't skipped a beat. Um, Milwaukee, good. Uh, I don't know if they could, I don't know if they can stack up against Boston. Cleveland, I love, but. Um, they're probably one or two years away, in my my opinion. What are your thoughts, Reg? I think the the only surprise for me at that top four is Cleveland. I really do. Um, I think they're a lot better than on paper. Obviously, they look really good at the start of the year, but you never sort of know when you make a big trade like they did for Donovan Mitchell um, or D. Mitch, as he likes to be known, um, <laughs> uh, as to whether or not it's going to work. Um, and it worked pretty quickly. Um, and now they're sitting what at twenty seven and sixteen um, in that fourth spot. Um, and for me, I thought Philly would be much higher up there. Um, I thought Philly was really going to be. I think I picked them to win the most um, regular season games this season because I thought they'd be that team. And I actually think I may have even picked them to go to the finals. Um, but it's hard to look past Boston. But I'm going to look past Boston. 
Um, and I'm going to say Milwaukee comes out of the East. Partly because I just love Giannis and it's so hard not to want him to do really well. Um, and our boy Joe Ingles is there, but then the counter side is you've got that dirt bag there with uh, Grayson Allen as well. So <laughs> I don't feel good about saying that. Um, but I think uh, so. I think Philly could potentially sneak into that top four. Um, what you've then got New York, Indiana, Miami, Atlanta, Chicago down to the ten. Miami maybe, but they're they're just all over the place. They they have good mm. runs and they drop off. And it, I, I mean, you still wouldn't. Want to go against them, but and I know Buckets has, has mentioned this on previous podcasts, but losing PJ Tucker is a big thing, and that's partly why I thought Philly would be a bit better than they are when they gained him because he's that player who seems to just stick everyone together and does all the little things that contribute to win. So, I've always known that to win a championship in the NBA, you've got to have a generational player. You have a top five defense, at least a top five offense. No one this season has that. Like, it's at, open. This, at, at this point of the season, anyway, there's no there's no team that's in both top five offensive and defensive. But I, I still stand by there is only four teams that I believe can win an NBA championship. Sorry, five teams that can win an NBA championship this season. Two are in the East, and that's Milwaukee and Miami, because they're the only teams that have a generational player in their lineup, and that's Giannis and Jimmy Butler. Now, Jimmy Butler's not a generational regular season player, but put him in postseason, he's as good as any playoff performer that we've seen in, in recent memory. So they're the only two teams that can win the championship coming out of the East. And then in the West, you've got Denver, Dallas, and the Lakers. They're the only teams that can win a championship coming out of the Western Conference because they've got those generational players. We spoke two pods ago that whether Zion could become that guy and New Orleans could jump into that. So that that's dependent on how quickly or if at all he becomes that guy. So then that would bump New Orleans to be able to do it. But that's it. Ja Morant's not that guy, so they're not doing it. The Clippers boys, they're not those guys. They're not doing it. Don't even get me started on Phoenix. So there's only five teams that can win the championship this season. And Bo- we're just Boston gonna have and to Boston no. Brooklyn, K- KD, no. generational player. Jason Tatum, no, generational player. No, Jason Tatum is not a generational player. Let, let's not get caught up with these all-stars and start calling them superstars and generational players. Jason Tatum's just an okay guy that can score. He'd be like Kevin Martin. Oh. Kevin Martin once once averaged Kevin about twenty about twenty eight points a season. That's that's sort of where I put now, there's it. There's a name that... I have not heard in a while. Kevin Martin. Yeah, and just Kevin a, Martin. The absolute the absolute gall of you to come and come to me at the start of the pod and say that I was saying that LeBron's value was ludicrous and we'd learn to lose listeners from saying it. And you're telling me that Jason Tatum is like Kevin Martin. Yeah. He's just oh. having a good stretch. He'll have he'll yeah. have like a two or three year stretch where he's in the middle of it now, where he's looking okay, and then he won't win anything, and it'll just it'll just fade away. He'll be a bit like Kevin Martin's probably a bit like he'd be a bit like Mello. Yeah, he'd be really good. People will love him, but he'll never make any real noise when it matters. When the chips are really there, he's no good. I reckon he'll win an MVP. No. Nah. Jokic will probably win the next 50 by the, by the way yeah, he's going. He's playing very well. I'll give you that. <laughs> and Brooklyn, they're, they're guys, they're, they're not going to be around. You know, KD's going to be out for a month. 
Kyrie's certainly going to be out for six weeks for something soon. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, we'll have to find out, I guess. At the moment, they're humming along pretty well in second second seed in the East. Yeah, yeah, it's at least in conference. Let's talk Western Conference. So we've got Denver and Memphis um, tied for the top spots there. Then we've got the New Orleans and the Dallas and Mavericks. What are we thinking over on the Western Conference side of things? Reg, we'll go with you to start. Um, surprised a little bit to see where things are at. Um, New Orleans have, I picked them to be my overachieving team, but they have really, really looked good. Um, and as you said, Buckets, it's really, it's an interesting one for them because they are young, but they have, they're deep and they've got Zion and they just click together. Can they win it all or can they make the finals even? Uh, I'm not sure I'm ready to go there just yet. Um, I still think they're a team to watch around the deadline to try to bring in some of that veteran um, experience to sort of help them um, come playoff time. Um, Denver just keep rolling along. Like, you know, Jamal Murray's working himself back in from his ACL injury and it, it's starting to really click. Michael Porter Jr. is in and out, never seen this. But Jokic just, they just keep winning. Like, they're just thereabouts again. And he's having, like, quietly somehow like a better season than these last two seasons. Like it's just it's just insane. Um and then obviously Dallas, you always expect them to be up there because Luca's Luca. Um but then look Sacramento in the fifth seed, there's some weird stuff going on in the West. There is some weird stuff going on. Uh but look from second through or from fourth through to like tenth is a couple of games. So it's 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 quite open there. Um but I can't see anyone outside of that top four sliding out, although if Golden State can get back going with, with Steph back, um, they're probably a, a dark horse to, to slide back in. In terms of the Clippers, I have no idea what to think about the Clippers. They are just a confusing yark team. Like, I feel sorry for Clippers fans. They're just yark. Yeah. They- just, I feel like we've been talking about the Clippers for ages as being good, and they're just the same thing every year. Like, yeah. Agreed. So yeah, I'm not, I, I think, yeah, I, I'm. I don't know who's going to come out of the West. I think it's open. I think it's really open, and I think matchups and everything and and health and things like that are going to play a key factor. And even even I can't believe I'm saying this, and Tulsa will hate it. But if the Lakers can slide into a plane <laughs> and somehow get, I you just don't want to face them in it. I. They're a fair way off, but you know, like... it's, going to, it's, it's going to be hard for them to win to win the plane when they're sitting thirteenth at the end of the season, <laughs> not even competing for the play-in. Yeah, but we're one game out of the play-in. True. <laughs> so and we're two we're two games out of the sixth seed. So Pat would love this way too. He would really love that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's it's the it's the best thing that the, the West is so congested. Because, yeah. yeah, it looks terrible that you're sitting 13th, but win two games and then they go into the sixth spot with the Clippers. So, you know. And they are looking better and better as the year goes on. They are. And we, and we like, since the 2 and 10 start, um, I think we're, oh, I had the numbers there, but we lost today. But, like, we're, we're like five or six games above 500 since that 2 and 10 start. So mm. everyone's still looking at, well, you're 9 and 23, blah, blah, blah. But since that disaster start, and they're continuing to win games without AD. So, well, if you get him back and 
we all know that the probability of him being back for a long period of time is less than what you want. But if it just happens to happen and he plays the way he was playing before he got hurt, good luck trying to beat them in a seven-game series. I'll definitely create some noise. Yeah, I mean, if the perfect storm goes right, Lakers may be a chance, but geez, a lot, has got, a lot of stuff has got to go right for a perfect storm. Um, from, my, from my perspective in the West, I think that there are three teams that I think... Um, oh, no, I probably reckon there's probably only two teams, I think, that can really probably do it. And I think Denver's one, even though last year I was laughing at Pat saying that Denver was going to, you know... Get through to the, Sweep the finals. Finals. I think with I think with with Jamal Murray back, um, it changes them completely. They've now actually got um, a second um, all star to basically help carry the load. So Jokic doesn't have to do absolutely everything, even though he's still doing absolutely everything. Um, to me, Memphis are Memphis are nearly there. I reckon that they're that they're a year or two off as well. I think a, a bit more growth in them. Um, and development, I think they'll be thereabouts in the next one to two years. Um, same with Pelicans. Dallas, if they got anyone else around Luca that was half decent, I would give them a shot. I think with their current team, they're not going to make it. They're not going to make the finals. Um, but I just think, like similar to what Red said, I think that if Golden State can get going and Steph gets back and they can catch a bit of a hot streak, you know, you would you would not want to be sitting, you know second or third seed and having to face Golden State in the first round of the playoffs. Um, I'd love to. Yeah, that's fair, but <laughs> most people most people wouldn't because you know you're probably going to get beaten by Golden State because no, they are proven they are proven playoff performers. They've got the greatest three point shooter in the face of the planet. Um, you know, Clay starting Poole. to work his way back in. Jordan Poole's been playing pretty decent. They've got Draymond Green. Like they, they've still got their caliber players there. I, I don't know. I wouldn't want to be facing them in the first round. That's all I'm saying. I prefer. I'd prefer to face Lakers in the first round than I would prefer to face than Golden State Warriors. Absolutely. Imagine Pat Bev just locking up Steph Curry. He'd <laughs> oh. be like Gelly in 2015 all over again. How can anyone take this podcast seriously when you're doing no. that trash? Steph, look, I'm, all I'm saying is if Pat Bev got his hands on Steph, like Steph would be lucky to average double digits. <laughs> can't touch him on these days, though, so he can't get his hands on him. That's a foul. Yeah, yeah it's a foul. <laughs> <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> um, yeah, no, and I, and I don't think I don't think there's. I mean, other than Golden State, there's no one else that that will come out of the uh, come out of the West and, and do anything. Um, I'm sorry to say, not even my Minnesota Timberwolves can do that. Now, we predicted who were going to make the finals. I had Miami versus the Lakers. I'm very comfortable with that. I still think that that's very much what's going to happen. <laughs> I don't remember what you two said. Tell us, who, who do you predict to make the NBA finals and do you want to change it? Uh, well, I said Brooklyn and Golden State was, was, was I think, my prediction. Um I would probably only change it to, I think it'll be Boston versus Denver. Boston versus Denver. I had Philly. I'm just trying to think of who I had on the west side. I think you had Phoenix, didn't you? Surely not. That's gross if I did. Yeah, it'd be real gross. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I did, though. Um, 
I will go the Milwaukee Bucks. The Denver Nuggets. Oh, the battle of the big boys. The yep. battle of the big I can't I can't get around Jokic. To no, me neither. he's he's like Tim Duncan. Neither. Yep. So good, but just can't get around him. Can't like I see a Denver game like no. Like I'd I'd tune into a Charlotte game with Lamelo before I watch um Jokic. Like have have you watched can't a Denver get game? Have yeah, you when they play the Lakers. Yeah, yeah. I just can't get around him. Like, he's slow and he's big and he stands at the high post and holds the ball. Like, he picks defences apart. Like, watching from a a basketball standpoint, like, he's an amazing talent, sees the floor. Like, but just from an entertainment standpoint, as as I said, it's the same as watching Tim Duncan. Like, if I'm watching a game just from an X's and O's point of view, like, yeah, you watch them and go, these guys, they understand the game. Like, they can see it two, three, four moves ahead. But from an entertainment standpoint, like, damn, this guy's slow. Like, you know, where's Ja Moran getting the ball, getting the rebound and sprinting up the court and then trying to jump over five people to dunk the ball? Like, I just can't get around him from that entertainment side of things. Mm, I agree. I do agree. He's clearly good, but it's just like, ah, yeah. It'd be it'd probably like, um, you know, similar to, to Tim Duncan and San Antonio. Like you, a lot of people won't find him interesting unless they support Denver or support San Antonio. If you're a yeah. Denver fan right now, you're basically saying we've got the three-time MVP because he's well on his way to his third yeah. MVP. Yeah. No, I've never met a Denver fan. <laughs> oh, there's, there's plenty of them now. That they're good. Trust me. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. Oh, look, look, <laughs> look when Lakers when Lakers trade LeBron to Denver for Jokic and Jamal Murray and you know <laughs> and nine picks, you'll, you'll be a Denver fan. That'd be fine. Absolutely, I'll be. Back I'll get my I'll get my skis. I'll be the, the Rockies, Rockies boys. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, uh, very good. Let's talk mailbag. We got a really really good question. I I really want to talk about this one. This one's one of the best questions we've had. So continue to send those in, listeners. This one is around what do you do at the end of games if you are up three? Now, very much in the FIBA and the overseas game, it's much more popular that if you're up three, that you foul and send the player to the free throw line so they have no opportunity to tie the game. Certainly in the NBA, it's much more of of the idea to trust your defense, I guess, rather than fouling someone and sending them to the line. What would you do in the situation? One possession game, you're up three, opposition's got the ball. Tol, I'll start with you. Do you foul or do you let the play run? This is a very good question. And to, to me, if I was a spectator, I, I, want, I don't want the foul. I want, them, I want to see a game-winning shot. I want to see that opportunity happen. If I'm a coach or a player and want to play the odds, you foul. Um, so, look, I would probably I'd probably foul. Um, considering it, like you, you have to have to make sure that your team is actually decent at free throws because they'll probably foul you back. You've got to make sure you're then going free throw for free throw for free throw. Um, but yeah, I think f- fouling is the smartest option. Um, but I don't think it's the most entertaining option. Bridge, what do you think? It's a hard one because I also think it's circumstantial depending on who the other team has. Yeah. And what I mean by that is 
players these days are so smart um, to know that that's a possibility. Um, and so you've got to be careful, I think, because the last thing you want to then do is foul a three-point shooter because he's got the smarts to go up knowing you're going to try and get it. Mm. Um, that's that's challenging. And that's what I think maybe time plays into it as well. Like, you know, they say there's like 20 seconds ago you've got a foul to give. You might let them dribble out a bit just to, just to take away some of their time and then do it But when they start to make their move. If there's sort of less than five seconds, I think it's a massive risk because you you, you potentially know that it's coming. Um, and a prime example is when bloody Zach Levine thought he was going to get the foul and N1 the other day. Dribbles in, thought he got the contact, throws it up, you're down three. It's like, what is going on? Like, yeah, you know, because he was playing for that and mm. it didn't didn't happen. So it's a tough one. I can see both sides to it. Um, from a Tulsa's exactly right. From an entertainment perspective, clearly you want to you want to um allow the, the three point shot to go up to tie it. Um, but then I look at the the two overtime endings in the or the end of regulation and overtime one today with the Lakers and Dallas, and both times they could have fouled. Luca sent the line for two, but they let him get three as he makes them both. So it, yeah, it's it's. I think it's really circumstantial for me as, as to who the other team's got and just how smart I think they are at whether or not they're going to be able to get a get a a um a shot up or not. Um, but as we all know, I'm also a bit of a fan of the fever game, and I'm like, if you can if you can do something to win, do it and win. Mm. Um, who cares about entertainment if I'm the coach? I'll need to win. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Very circumstantial, I agree. What do you reckon, Buckets? Um, I'd love to know the analytics behind it. Like, I'd love to know. Let, let's say most teams would shoot around 30 33% from three. Um, so let's say one in – so for every 10 shots, they're going to make three of them to tie the game, so they're going to miss seven. And how does that correlate to, okay, you foul them, what percentage of that that team are they going to hit both free throws and then what percentage that when you get re-fouled are you going to hit both yours um, to see what what's the higher probability? Like is it, a, is it a better strategic move to actually foul them, send them to the line? Because the thing that gets lost in it is, yeah, you can foul them and send them to the line. They, only have, they can only hit two free throws. But then they're going to immediately foul you. So if there's, say, still three seconds on the clock, they've got a timeout, and you are a terrible free-throw shooting team, like the Lakers are, you, your probability is probably going to be to split the free-throws, so now you're only up two. They've got a timeout, and then they might come down and either tie the game on a two, or they could potentially hit a three and win the game when you could have just trusted your defense on the initial play, let them shoot a three, they're going to miss seven out of ten, get the rebound, everyone wins and walks away. So I'd love to see what the numbers are. But as you say, it's going to come down to how much time's on the clock. Mm. Are you a good free-throw shooting team? Are they a good free-throw shooting team? Do they have a timeout? Do they not have a timeout? And who do they have on the other side? As you say, Luka Doncic today. You know, we could have very easily been 20 and 22 instead of 19 and 23. But twice he hits his pattern, step back three, ties the game, they end up winning in double overtime. You know, do you foul him, send him to the line? But Lakers are a bad free throw shooting team. We could foul him. He goes to the line, hits all three. They foul LeBron. LeBron splits. You know, they come down. Luca probably hits a three. We lose, you know. So, so hard. Certainly entertainment. Let him shoot it. But if I'm a coach, I'm always trusting my defense. You know, trust my defense to, to get up, play good defense, get the rebound, move on um, from there. So that's how I would like to run it if I was the coach. So 
want to talk about the last two-minute report. So, Reg, I know that you're a keen reader of these. <laughs> Question one, do you think it's a good thing that the last two-minute report is a thing? And two, do you feel cheated as a Bulls fan for some of the recent results given what was written in that last two-minute report? Whew. All right. Listeners, strap yourselves in. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, I think I think the last two minute report is good not from not from the standpoint that it changes anything. And if you come looking at it to say, well, this this should have been this because of this what this report says, um, because it's not going to change anything. The reason I think it's good is that it shows accountability on the on the referees. It makes them accountable for the decisions that they make, and it also should help them grow and develop in similar situations. And it allows the league, I guess, to see overall how um, calls are made within that last two minutes to try to get some sort of consistency um, because as as we've spoken about before and things like that, it's it's all about the consistency. If you're going to call a certain foul in a certain game with a certain player, you should call that foul in every game in that situation when it happens that same way. Um, and if you're not, then don't. Like I, I don't really mind either way, but just be consistent. Um, where, where it gets frustrating is um, when it's clear – and they don't call it, and they then say, oh, in the last minute, well, it was like a clear foul. It's one of those 50-50s. I mean, you can't hold that against them. Like, they're, they're human. They're, they're using their eyes to try to see the, the best they can. And, and um, in three of – well, the Bulls have, have technically um, sort of been stung in three games. One, I would say, is very, very fair. Massive 50-50 call. I, I would not hold that against the – um, the referee at all. In one of the other ones, I could probably say it's 60-40, so I, can, I could probably let that one go as well. Um, but one of them clear as mud, and that's the sort of disappointing thing. Um, I guess more so for me because my team is in a position where they need to win games. Like So it's, it actually could come down to a couple of games at the end of the year to get into that play-in. That's why it's really critical. Um, but I like it from an accountability perspective. Um, and, for example, in that, in that one with um, uh, Zach Levine the other day when – he made that horrible decision late uh, and said it was fouled. They said it wasn't a foul. So, like, as long as it evens out, like I would love for the Bulls to get on the on the better side of three throughout the year, um, then I'm 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 okay with it. But there are people who get quite frustrated by it because they're like, well, the outcome should be different, you know. And you've you've got to understand that, that it's not going to change anything. It's purely just saying we yeah you know, we acknowledge that this was wrong, um, and hopefully. We will learn from that going forward um, because I'm all about accountability and ownership in whatever you do in your professions um, and, and learning from mistakes and, and getting better. The fact that it has to be made public is probably a bit rough, but um, that's I guess that's the part of it because all the players' stats and everything are, are public, so why should the, the referees be any different? That's a very diplomatic answer. I could have been a lot worse. <laughs> uh, that was really good. And one one thing that you brought up in there that I'm very passionate about, and it, it sort of ties into we talked a couple of pods ago about um, this unwritten rule about if you're up big, you don't score at the end after the Zion going against Phoenix, blah, blah, blah. One thing that, that annoys me. And the other thing is this idea that at the end of games, we call things differently. Like people say, oh, you're not getting that call on the last possession on a game winner and blah, blah, blah. No. The rules are the rules. You call it the same whether it's minute one or minute 47. 
This idea that it's different at the end of games versus start of games is absolutely ridiculous. And for me, it's let them play. So be consistent from start to finish. So let the let it be a physical game at the end where you're not going to call those um, touch fouls, but call that throughout the game. So mm-hmm. don't call those touch fouls. Let the players play throughout it. But if you're going to call ticky touch fouls in the first 47, then you've got to call them on the last play of the game as well. Yeah. So to me, that's one of the biggest frustrations. So my preference is call the same for 48 and call it where you're letting them play. Let the defenders mm-hmm. defend. Let the offensive players work through it and let it go. And that would stop a hell of a lot of frustration, I think, from fans as well, so that there's not this idea of, well, yeah, you would have got that foul call in the third quarter, but you ain't getting that on the last yeah. play of the game. Yeah. I think um, I think for me, the last two-minute report, I'm similar to Reg, but I like that, it's a, that there's accountability, and I think it's good for the referees to grow and develop. I hate that it's public. Like, in my mind, the last two-minute report goes to the, to the, to the team to say this is our, our take of the last two minutes and what our thoughts were. Making it public to me... You know, like I think in this day and age, there's a lot of push to make sure that there is um, good behaviour and good attitude towards referees as a whole because we've seen some pretty shocking incidences in, um, of umpires play uh, and, umpo- and referees getting death threats and, you know, uh, getting harassed on social media and people, you know, uh, being very unhappy uh, from that standpoint. I think releasing the last minute reports where you're showing the errors that they made to infuriate fans, to me, just puts a target on referees' backs that they don't really that they don't really deserve. They try and call the game as best they can. They've got to learn and grow. There's human error in everything. Um, you know, in my mind, I love that it's there for them to learn and grow. I think that it's good for the teams to 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 get that information to go. There, you know, the referees acknowledge that they they called it incorrectly and they're going to learn and grow from it. Horrible that it's made public. I don't think they should. Well said. Well said. Now, we have a running bet going, don't we, Talsh? We do. to the record of the Brooklyn <laughs> Nets versus the record of the Los Angeles Lakers. How, how are you feeling about My this? My question for you is, do you, do you think you want to talk about LeBron at the start of the episode or you want to talk about LeBron at the end of the episode when you have to talk about him being the greatest player mm. Well, my... Now, He's doubling now, down. Now He's that Kevin Durant is out for a month, you must be a little bit worried about what's going to happen. You have eight games in front, and now you're going to miss your best player for the better part of the next month. Um, look, it was it was it was a bit of a blow, you know, losing Kevin Durant. Am I worried? I mean, AD's got no time frame for when he's going to get back, so no, I'm it could not be worried. Tomorrow. Um, I'm. Uh, I think I was going to ask you how are you sitting with the bet. You're obviously pretty pretty confident that Lakers are going to come over the top. Yep, LeBron's rounding into some nice forms. We just some of these games like today, like we could have we could have picked that one up. Like we've just given a few games away, but we're certainly trending in a much better direction. Um, so I'm very comfortable that we'll be over 500 by the end of January, and then we'll just continue on through All Star break. AD comes back, and we're going to start to stack some five game win streaks, some seven game win streaks. And uh, we, I knew that something was going to happen in Brooklyn, whether it was injury, whether it was a scandal. Um, we've certainly got the injury now. The scandal will come, and then it's all the floor yeah. is going to fall out in Brooklyn. 
So, I mean, I, I was I was actually gonna I was actually gonna try and clarify something with you that I probably should have clarified at the start of the betting was if to say LeBron gets injured, the bet still runs. It's not we're not we're not we're not vetoing um, injuries as a thing. Beg your pardon, uh, LeBron doesn't get injured. So. <laughs> Oof, if that's not a jinx, I don't know what yeah. is. <laughs> Of course, the bet doesn't veto if guys get injured. That's the whole point of, of yeah. bets. Like, it, it, I, I could always say all the terms know. and conditions. There's forty pages of terms and conditions. Yeah. On this <laughs> like that's the risk of, nah. of making bets. Like nah, is it that that sport. Look, I think I think my only comment is um, just let me know where you want to get this snake tattoo, and I'll get it sorted for you. Yeah, no, I won't need to worry. But if I was to get it, I think I'd get it probably in between my shoulder blades, um, either there or probably on my heart where Kevin Durant's snake fits right in there, his black heart. Is it going to be? Is it going to be like a little snake like body and then like KD's head? Is that what we're, <laughs> what we're thinking? It'll probably be that that the, one of the best memes that I ever saw is where it was like a snake body with KD's head, and he was in a Melbourne United jersey when um, they all, when they almost beat OKC in a preseason game, and like he's now joining the, the Melbourne United. I mean, I mean, look. To be honest, Heath, you can that you is can gold. you can sit there and try and make as much jokes about it as you want. You the, the the last time I spoke to you about a tattoo, your response to me was, "Why would you put a bumper sticker on a Ferrari?" Meaning that you're the Ferrari and a tattoo is a bumper sticker. So, I don't think what you get, you make it as funny as you want. It is it is not it is not something that I know you want on your body. So I don't, you can make it as funny as you want, as bad as as toxic towards KD as you'd like. I know you're not going to like it regardless. Yeah, that, and that's why I was so confident in making that, I would never have to do it. Fair enough. Oh, this is the best. <laughs> what are we moving on to? Um, that is pretty well everything, unless um, do we want to oh, we'll just run through some of the predictions that we made now that we're about halfway through. Are we halfway? Yeah, so most teams have played about 40 to 45 games here. We are at the halfway mark of the season, so I'll just run through to see if anyone's close with their predictions. Who's leading the rookie of the year? I don't really talk, listen now that most of my guys are 38, uh, so I don't look at many of the rookies. It'd be Ben playing well. It'd have yeah, to be so Bancaro from Orlando, though. So He's according like... to the Ladbrokes markets, uh, Bancaro is a dollar oh five, and the next closest yeah. one is is Benedict Mathurin on ten dollars. So yeah. from Indiana, yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty well done. The easy way out with that. So he, he did that. Dyson will come late. He's been. I've been very impressed. He's solid. Not not rookie of the year, but he's solid. Playing meaningful minutes at the end of games, getting big assignments on the defensive end. Yep. Can't be can't be too disappointed there. Um, six man, my boy, Russ. He must be he must be up there. Yeah, Russ, what is six man? Russ is um Russ is currently the favourite at the moment at two dollars twenty five, followed closely by Jordan Poole at four dollars. I, I, did I not say Reg? Did we not sit here when he first got traded to the Lakers? What did I say? How should they use Russell Westbrook? You, exactly the way they're using him now. <laughs> should be a coach. <laughs> It's amazing. Darvin Ham, you should be credited. And see, that's what good coaching is, being able to build relationships with your players because I'm sure um, Frank Vogel probably raised the same thing and said, why don't you try this? And it wasn't yep. received anyway the way that Darvin Ham's been able to do it. So building relationships so important there. Most improved, that's always such a hard 
hard one, isn't it? Who's um who's top odds there, Tal? Top odds Larry? on most improved is no uh Shea uh, Gillis Alexander yeah. at a dollar eighty, but followed by Laurie Markman at two dollars ten. So that's ah, Regis boy. Ooh. <laughs> I, I was actually surprised. Like Tyrese Halliburton's at seventeen dollars, and I thought I think he's having an absolute stellar season. I think he should be, you know, higher and most improved. Most improved under yeah. seventeen dollars. Yeah, he's not putting forty sevens on people like Big Boy. <laughs> The finisher, get around Isn't him. it weird that he does that against the Bulls? Oh, that was a, a bad, bad blow. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, you're, I think I, th- I think you picked Josh Giddy, didn't you, for for most I improved? Did, He's did. currently sitting at 101. Yeah. Who did I pick for most improved, Tosh? Uh, Halliburton. Like Halliburton. There you uh, go. Uh, D- DPO. Uh, so defensive player of the year. Yeah, I've got a bad one here. So defensive player of the year is actually – uh, from Memphis, Jaron Jackson Jr. at a dollar yeah, seventy-five, okay. followed, yeah, by Brooke Lo- followed by Brook Lopez at four dollars fifty. He's been he's really good, leading the leading blocks. Brooke. I think. Yeah, yeah. Another another guy just I love because Murph loves him, but can't get around him because he's slow. <laughs> um, none of us, none of us had either either of those those guys. MVP. Jokic, none of us picked Jokic, so um, who it'd be Jokic, Tatum, Luca, top one, two, three, is it? So uh, tied is Doncic and and Jokic on three dollars fifty. Third is Giannis and Tatum, both on five bucks, and then um, Joel Embiid is next on thirteen dollars. Kevin Durant's on next after him on twenty one, but I think because he's been injured, the, his odds have probably changed. But uh, I imagine he's not, he's not that good. Is probably part of it too. That uh, <laughs> what about Kawhi Leonard? Where where's where was my pick of Kawhi Leonard? Kawhi the, Leonard, the, come, the comeback story. Last week, yeah, games. the narrative. That's right. Uh, I can't even find him on the um, on the Ladbrokes <laughs> event. Like not, even, not even given a market. No, they've given they've given a market on Desmond Bain instead of. Uh... <laughs> so he must be just below Desmond Bain. Oh uh, no! Hold on, there he is. Found him. T- Two hundred and one dollars. He's got he's good Ooh, odds. Good odds. Good odds. I'm, I'm multi him in a Josh Giddy, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple of a couple of years, Reg and Pat both had Lucas, so they're doing okay in that front. Coach of the year. I'd have must, to be close. It'd have to be. Um, who coaches the New Orleans Pelicans? Willie Green. That was yeah, my pick. Willie Green. Yeah. Have to be close. Have to be. It's either him or Mike Malone. Yeah. So there was nothing on Ladbrokes. Jack Fawn probably up there for, too, I reckon, now. Um, oh, yeah, true. There's nothing that I could find uh, on Ladbrokes, so I've had a bit of a look at Vegas Insider, and I'm not really sure how the, how the uh, American system works, but their current best odds is Joe Mazzulla. At, at plus 200. And then oh, Willie that's Gr- Boston. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then Willie Green at um, plus 300. Yeah, and so then, that's $3 is 300. Yeah, and then and then they've and then they've got an equal third place with Taylor Jenkins at plus 500 and Jacques Vaughan at plus 500. I'm not sure who Taylor Jenkins coaches. <laughs> but I'm not that even Willie sure. Green, that Willie Green is a good pick, Reg. That's, uh, that's a very good foresight on your, your Thank part. You. I get one uh, right under, every year. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Underachieving team. So I'm doing very well there because I've got the Celtics under 50 wins, so that's very much on track. 
Lakers <laughs> at 38 to 40 wins, Talsh. What, what are the Atlanta Hawks? 42 wins, Reg? Yeah, I'm, they're, Pat, nine, they're 19 wins at the moment, so I'm on, yeah, I'm on track. Very, very good. Lakers yeah. are certainly going to break through the 40-win mark. They'll, they'll probably end up about 55 by the end of the year, something like that. Um, Pat's got the Knicks, which I, I don't think he can have the Knicks as underachievement because I think everyone expects them to But they're the sixth seed at the moment. <laughs> yeah, 23 wins. <laughs> Tibbs uh, is out there barking at them on the defensive end and they've started listening. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, overachieving, you and Tulsh and Reg, you both have, have nailed the overachievers. Cavs over 50 wins and Pelicans over 48 wins. Um, both very good picks. Miami, I had over 50, which at 23, they're teetering. But Possible, yeah. They just, they just have so many injuries. Like, yeah. It just seems every other week they get one guy back and another guy yeah. wins. Must have something to do with the nightlife. I think the rehab in Miami is not the best. And then Pat had Orlando most regular season wins. They have got 16 wins. <laughs> Don't think that's going to hit, Pat. I, I mean, like, I can still remember when he when he sent that through uh, for the overachievement. And Orlando, they literally got the number one pick last year. Like, what, like was he expecting them to go from 30th to 15th or something? Like, it was a bizarre pick. Sorry, Pat. It was a very bizarre pick. You're not sorry. Don't be sorry. Pat <laughs> made the pick. He's got to be held accountable for his pick. <laughs> yes, very true. Um, excellent. So we're doing okay, I would say, with some of those predictions. Most most categories, we're, at least one of us are around the mark. Um, I'm just checking what games we've got this weekend to see if there's anything of note that we might look to talk about on the next pod. Um, oh, you play OKC, the Bulls. That um, that's going to be a, should get a few viewers to that. That'll probably break some records. Denver Clippers, blah blah blah, boring. No real matchups tomorrow. And then what do we got on Sunday? Ooh, Miami Bucks. That'll be. I hope Giannis comes back. Miami beat them today, but without Giannis, so hopefully Giannis mm. is back for that one. Boston play the Charlotte Hornets, so if you want to win some money, put it on the Hornets. I'm um, looking at looking at the coach of the year odds too. Greg Popovich is currently the last placed in odds. He's plus <laughs> plus twenty thousand to win coach Whoa. of the year. <laughs> Good odds, I reckon. Yeah, and I've had it, multi that into giddy. Yeah, <laughs> and I found that uh, so obviously like Taylor Jenkins is the coach of the Memphis, Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, they're pretty good. So that's Sunday game, but that's at 5 a.m. It'll be into um, Bucks Miami to see who wins that one. But um, if you just look at who Miami against those good teams, they've beaten most of the good teams in the league. So you know, we, we can look at records, but I always look to see. And it's the same with the Lakers. You know, We were very good against Phoenix. We were very good against Del- um, Denver, very good against Dallas. So... We were beating the Bucks, so we've beaten some of the good teams. We had Boston on toast and gave that one away. We'll be fine. We'll be fine in Lakerland. And if Lake, we're not fine, it... trade LeBron for two second rounders. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I think I think it's a lock. I think Denver's going to get him for Jokic, Jamal Murray, and no, Jokic was one of my four. He's he's an untouchable. No, Jokic is an untouchable. It's yeah. four untouchables in the league. Who was yeah. it? Jokic, Giannis, Luca, and Zion. Oh, Zion. What about Jamarant? Yep. yep. Oh, Jamarant, please. 
Ja Moran is one of the most exciting players in the world to watch, but he's not winning a championship as the best player on the team. Yeah, right. Thanks. He's like Alan Iverson. He's like Derek Rose. He's like Russell Westbrook. Like, you watch 82 games of them. Amazing. Yeah. And they're never winning you a championship. Yep. Fair. And we know what I think about Jason Tatum. You know what I think about Devin Booker. You know what I think about Joel Embiid. James Harden. What a fall from grace. He's not even talked about anymore. No. He's not even going to be an all-star this year. Like, wow. Anyway, good, good episode. Let's um, regroup. Two weeks' time, we'll be back again. I will say we'll probably have the three of us again. Um, <laughs> AD, AD and Pat are about as reliable as each other. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Um, but fun, fun first half of the season. It's um, the first time in a, in a very well, last season was open too, but it's good to have this parity in the league where we're really not sure who's going to be what um, after sort of a decade where it was just, you know, well, for half a decade it was Golden State and LeBron. Um, but even before that, it was very much you knew LeBron's team was going to be there and it was just whoever else was going to be on the other side. So it's nice to have a bit more mixture going on to see exactly what's going to happen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Courtside Hoops podcast. Please follow us wherever you listen to our podcasts and give our Instagram page a follow as well uh, at courtsidehoops.podcast. And as always, keep sending those mailbag questions in. 